0: Um, but happy New Year! Today's the last day of 2017. For some of you, it's been a fantastic year. For others, it's been a really, really tough year. Um, for me, it's been a year of a lot of change, significant change. Like, empty nest syndrome is going to set in soon. Um, hitting 25 years of marriage. Um, my job changing. Um, but it's also been my favorite ministry year I've ever had, which is kind of cool that all of that would come out of all of this change. So. Thirteen years of student ministry um, led me into 2017. And then about six to eight months ago, it started about nine months ago, the process, but about six to eight months ago, I took on this um, position of development pastor for Um, adults. And so um, it's kind of funny, but God actually started developing me before he set me free to start helping to develop all of you. So um, as I looked at development, the first thing that I learned is that it's not instant. And that was hard for me because I wanted to jump in the role and be ready and go. Well, spiritual development and development of any kind isn't instantaneous, but it's hard because we live in a time and in a place where everything is instant. Um, communication is instant you can text somebody right now you can uh, email somebody right now my dad is watching from a hospital room right now he can see it it's instant boom right so um, everything is instant microwaves who used to be they used to be designed to heat up food now cook food like we plan meals around how long do we need to microwave it which is kind of gross unless it's a Holtman's donut for 11 seconds Chris Flick in the back high five because that's our new favorite thing But the other thing that I looked at in terms of being instant and the development process has been capturing images. So I can take my phone, which I left down there, but I could take it, and I could take a picture of you guys, and within a matter of seconds, I can upload it, and thousands of people could see it. They could share it, and millions of people could see it within the hour. Um, that's crazy to me that we can click and upload, click and upload. I've got this crazy statistic. This is what it says. Now, this is from 2014, so it's a little bit outdated. But it says this. In 2014, according to Mary Meeker's annual Internet Trends Report, people uploaded an average of 1.8 billion digital images every single day. Day. Um, That's 657 billion photos a year. And another way to think about this is every two minutes... Humans take more photos than ever existed in total 150 years ago. That's nuts. They're everywhere. But, but this is what makes me a little nervous about this. When we take a photograph, like if I took one now and I turned around and took a selfie, I can control um, the angle so I look thinner. I can control the lighting, so my hair looks better. I can control all these things. I can virtually engineer the photograph that I click and upload and put out there for people to see. So I started thinking about this in terms of development, this instant thing, and it's not deep, it's not real. A lot of times it's kind of fake. And I wonder what it's gonna be like 20 years from now when the next generation looks back at our generation and what they see of us isn't necessarily what really happened. So let's go backwards a few years in the whole photo thing. For those of you who are my age, you remember the Polaroid camera. Now they're $175 on eBay, so I don't have one to use right here, but I do have this cool camera now that does the same thing. So this camera is considered an instant camera, right? So I can look through this little hole, there's no screen, and I can look down here at old Bill, and I can take a picture of Bill, and what happens? All of a sudden, this instant image comes out. The thing is, is that it's not really instant because it's white, right? There's nothing there yet. But, but if, I let, if I do this, what happens, everybody my age? What do you do to it? Shake it up, right? So if I start to shake it, and I shake it, and I shake it, and I shake it, the harder I shake it, the faster it develops, the image develops, now, for those of you who are just now catching on, I'm talking about the image of God in us, okay? So shake it, shake it, shake it. Now, some of you came to, take, came to know the Lord, maybe even came here because you got shaken up really hard. Something traumatic happened. Um, you had a death in the family. Um, you had a broken relationship. Something really tough, tough happened and you got shaken up. And that's great, and it's valid, and you came in here, and it caused you to fall on your knees and accept Jesus as your Savior and say, I can't do this on my own, I need you. And that relationship began to develop as it was shaken. But as you can see, it's kind of here, but it's not all the way here. It needs to sit, and as it sits here, the image gets deeper and more vivid and stronger, right, over time. So go back a few more years. And then, for those of you who are super young... This is film. (laughs) So film used to go in our cameras, 12, 24, 36 exposures. And then when you were finished, you took it to the place and you had it developed. If you knew how to develop it yourself, you had to go into a dark room. So you go into this dark room, this closed, this intimate space where you're exposed, completely exposed in that room. And then what happens is, is there's paper that's associated with this. I don't know how it all works but you're put through a process. The photographs go through a process. There's chemicals in bins in this dark room. So they're put in, they brought out, next bin. Put in, they're brought out, next bin. And the more it goes through this process of development, the clearer the image is. In fact, if you look at pictures that are taken that are developed this way, it's like you're there. They're so clear, they're so vivid. So it's a process. So I say all that to say that this year um, I got I went into the dark room um, and it was uh, it was it was hard it was um, intense sometimes it was um, terrifying but I allowed myself to go into this dark room and last year let me back up a little in March um, Pastor Ben and Will they were in India and uh, we hang out a lot so I was a little lonely a little bored around the office wasn't the same. And I started spending more and more time in my office, in my intentional time with God, which we had started as a staff in January. So we were reading this book. It was called The Divine Mentor. This is the book. Highly recommend it. Write down the title. The Divine Mentor. Um, The whole purpose of this book is to say that it's great to look for mentors in your life, around you, to guide you, to lead you, to help develop you. But what would happen if instead of just using this book we turned to this book and we started looking through the pages of the Bible to people to learn from. What if we could learn leadership from Moses or humility um, from Job? What if we could take the pages of the Bible and learn from that? So this perfect storm developed where I'm reading this book. They are in India um, and and I'm in the dark room. So God started to use the life of Paul in my life in a huge way. Now, Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible, and he. a lot of my favorite verses are actually Paul writing to different churches, and they're in those books. And as I was reading, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I remember that verse. That's that's here. I didn't realize it It went here. Well, when they were in India, they asked me to lead a staff meeting. And so I'm leading the staff meeting, and I thought, what am I going to talk about? Well, let me talk about um, this, uh, this darkroom experience I'm having and what I'm learning about Paul. So, I'm I'm in the staff meeting and I ask the people in there, you know, what, what do you guys want to hear about? Well, just tell us about what you're learning. So I did. And I'm not going to get nervous and lose my space. I'm just going to change it up. So as I'm sitting there, I read this verse out of Hebrews that says, run with perseverance, this race that's been set out for you. And I start asking people in the room to tell me about their race. What kind of race are you in? And so one says, oh, I'm in an 800, kind of like not a marathon, not a sprint, but I'm like trying to keep my pace, trying to keep my pace. Another one says, I'm, I'm in a sprint down a hill, and I feel like I need rest and balance. And so these great conversations started happening around the room. And, and then when it got to me, it was my turn, and I, I hadn't thought about that yet. I honestly didn't think about how I was going to answer it. And when I did answer it, I'm going to share that answer in a few minutes, literally people around the room went, what? What? And at the same time, it's one of those experiences where you're over here and you're watching yourself talk and you're saying things and you're thinking, is that me? Am I saying that? What am I even talking about? It was that kind of experience. Um, And that changed everything for me this year. It started this whole process of me going out of student ministry and coming into adults. So let me give you a brief overview of Paul's story because he rocked my world this year. Um, Paul was born Saul of Tarsus, He was born a Jew. He studied under the best teacher there was in the Jewish law. Um, he was highly regarded. Um, he was a Pharisee. And I love, love, love Paul's personality. In fact, when I get to heaven one day, he's the second person that I want to meet. Jesus first, then him. Paul was like reckless abandon. He was passionate. He was excited. He was, um, nothing's going to stop him. He was all in and everything he did, he was all in. And that was bad for the Christians because he was out to persecute the Christians. You see, he loved the Lord your God with all your heart, but he didn't necessarily believe this whole Jesus thing, and this was not necessarily going along with the law that he had been taught. So he's out to persecute the Christians um, until he has a conversion experience. So let me tell you about that. This is in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked for letters in the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any, any there that belonged to the way, those are the people following Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I can only imagine. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. So as I'm getting ready for this, I'm thinking, that's so cool. Paul was in the dark room. He really was, he was in the dark. He was being developed by God in that very moment. So what happened was, after the conversion, his personality stayed the same. He was still vivacious and excited and spontaneous and all in and, and, and passionate. Except now, instead of being passionate against the Christians, he became passionate to save as many people as he could, to share the gospel with as many people as he could. And it had been revealed to him that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, which was the belief. He came for everyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He wrote that. So so here's Paul with a change in focus, bent on sharing the gospel as, to as many people as he can. So he decides he's going on these journeys so he's going on these journeys all around, um, and at the time, you know, he's, um, he's running. I think that Paul actually believed that Jesus might be back in his lifetime. And so he had this sense of urgency that I wish we had, but he had it. So he's on these journeys, and I've got this map I want to show you because this is really cool. Oh, no, wait, save on the map. That goes licks. So let me tell you the three things I learned from Paul. Sorry, I'm trying really hard. You guys that know me know that I'm. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So go ahead and get your sermon notes out, because this is where we're going to start with the three things that I learned from Paul during this whole darkroom experience, now that you've got kind of an overview of his picture. The first thing I learned was that we, all of us, need to believe God, not just that he exists. Believe God and that we have trust in him, we have faith in him, we believe in him. Not only that, but we trust him. And then when we hear from him, when we take the time to go into that dark room and we're listening, we don't just listen, we act. So the fill in the blank is he didn't just listen. Paul didn't just listen, he acted. And I'm gonna show you two places where he did this that just really inspired me. Um, The first one was, you know, he's blind. It's the third day and uh, he can't see. And in the background, in another house in the same city, there's this guy named Ananias, So the Lord speaks to Ananias, and he says, Hey, I need you to go over to this house. Saul is there, and I need you to pray over him and and help him get his sight back. Well, Ananias goes, Whoa, 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 whoa. This is the guy who is viciously persecuting and stoning to death other Christians, and you want me to go into that house and put my hands on him. But he does. He goes. And this happens in Acts chapter 9. Um, Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Verse 20, at once... He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God at once, at once. He didn't wait. He didn't say, okay, everybody, this has been a crazy few days. I need the disciples to catch me up. What's up with Jesus? Help me understand it so that I can be fully prepared to go and tell people. He didn't do that. At once, he started saying, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Off he went. So fast forward a little bit to this journey, the second journey. Paul is traveling and he's decided he wants to go, he's decided he wants to go to Asia and share the gospel with people that have never heard it before. So here's the map. Ready for the map? All right, so if you guys can see it, if your eyes are like mine, you may have trouble, but Paul starts off over here on the right, okay? And he's, he's going along, you see where it says Mizia up there on the top? All right, I'm going to read this verse. You can either look at the map or you can follow the verse that's in your sermon notes. Um, Acts chapter 16, 7 through 10, it says, When they came to the border of Mysia, they, ent- they tried to enter uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do that, so they passed by Mysia and they went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So if you look, Macedonia, I don't know if you can see, is all the way across uh, the sea, across the Aegean Sea is where Macedonia was. Now, these these were people that had never heard the gospel. It had never been taken there. And so this is, what, this is my favorite part. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once and left for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He didn't wait. He didn't say, oh, total change of plans. How many of you guys are mappers and every little bit of your trip's got to be planned out? This was spontaneous, like crazy. Let's go. They jump on a boat. They travel across the sea. The cool thing about this, and if you can show the map one more time, um, the places that he was going to go over there. If you see, you've got uh, Thessalonica, you've got Philippi, you've got Corinth. Do those sound familiar? Those are some of my favorite books of the Bible: are Philippians, First and Second Corinthians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians those books are letters that Paul wrote to these people that he boldly went to visit and shared the good news of Jesus that's where those came from so what did i learn personally from this this year as as things started to roll out in march and i started looking at paul and going wow not only did he go into this dark room, and not only did he listen to God, but he acted at once. And at the same time, that weird staff meeting's happening, where everybody's looking at me. Um, that same day I went in my office and I was working on some student stuff, which I love students. They are, I love them. And I've never gotten tired. That's how I always knew that was the place for me. It didn't matter if it was camp. I wasn't tired. So I'm in my office, and I'm working on things, and man, I'm not feeling right. Something's not right. And it got to the point where I just lost it. Allison Harpel was in the room with me, and I lost it. And the realization had hit me from the staff meeting to that moment that God was releasing me from student ministry, and I had no idea what to do with that. Because it 13 years is a long time. That's all I'd ever really done in ministry. So all these emotions set in, and I started thinking, All right, at once, at once, I got to do something about this. I don't know what even to do. At this point, they came home from India. And uh, I didn't make eye contact for a couple days because literally I'm dying inside. I don't know what's happening. But I knew I had been released. And who goes to their boss, who happens to be one of their closest friends, and say, so I love my job. I get up early before my clock every day because I love it so much to get here. But I'm kind of not called to it anymore. You don't do that. Because they're like, well, sorry, this was a good run, right? So I was scared to death to go to him and say it. And I, and I played with it, and I thought about it. and I th- Two nights, I didn't sleep. Two nights. The third night, didn't sleep again. That morning, I said to my husband, I can't do it anymore. i got to say something. is going on. So I text Pastor Ben, and I said, we need to talk. And literally, instant communication, two seconds later, Meet me at Waffle House. Great. So five minutes later, I'm walking up on a booth in the Waffle House, and I don't even sit down, and he looks up at me, and he says, "Um, you've been called out of student ministry. You're not leaving. What do you want to do? And I just lost it. First of all, I lost it because of the relief I felt that he didn't say, wow, that's really unfortunate. I don't have a place for you. Um, Secondly, I was so filled with gratitude that not only – has God been working on me about my calling, about what's happening? But obviously, He's been working on Him too because He knew exactly what was going on before I even got there. So I had to learn that we have to listen, we have to allow ourselves, but we have to act. And then not only do we have to act, we have to act at once because there's something amazing that's going to happen out of that. The second thing that I learned um, before I get there: what are you guys, what are you guys hearing from God? What are you hearing? There are so many of you here in this room who feel this, and you know there's something that you need to do. You know that you need to have a conversation. You know that you need to take a step. You know you need to make a change in raising your kids. You know that you need to take a step towards God, and you need to go in that dark room. You're feeling it. Act at once. Don't wait, because you're missing out on the blessing that happens when you obey God that way. Um, The second thing, Um, Paul's perspective was always positive, I love this about him. I think this is why uh, one of the reasons I like him so much is that he's a glass-half-full kind of guy. This guy had been in prison several times, beaten several times. Like, one time, they thought he was dead, dragged him out of the city walls. He's laying there. The disciples walk up, dust him off. He's like, all right, where are we going? Off he goes, right? He'd been beaten within an inch of his life, flogged, all kinds of things. But yet, in everything, he was positive, In everything he was positive. Um, In fact, he wrote in Romans, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Um, He knew that God enabled good things to come out of bad things. Some of you this year have had something really rough happen. I know several of you who have lost loved ones, um, relationships that have been fractured. Um, you know, you, you've got kids that no matter how much you've tried or how many things you've done and the books you've read and the prayers you've prayed, that they still haven't made the decisions that you hope for them. You know, there's a lot of things going on. And, and, but God can use those things for good. And we've seen that happen this year. You are overcomers by the word of your testimony. The Bible says that. And it's cool. So listen to this. This was the coolest. This is the best story. Philippians chapter 1. So keep in mind, he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. And the church of Philippi is very worried because they love Paul and they know that he's in prison and they don't know what to do for him. So he writes them this letter to encourage them. This happens in uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What? He's in jail. He's probably chained to these couple of guards because if you remember a few books back, he's in jail. God creates an earthquake. He walks out of the jail. So they're probably very protective. Paul's on death row at this point because Christianity in Rome has become um, illegal So he's got a death sentence. He's in jail. But yet he's writing to the church of Philippi saying, Hey, get this. It's been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. So I want you to imagine for just a moment here he is, and he's chained. Probably a guard on one side and a guard on the other. Most of us would go, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Horrible, just kill me now. What am I gonna do? I've got this guy chained, chained to this guy on this side, chained to this guy on this side. But Paul didn't do that. Instead of Paul's thinking it that way, he flipped it around. His perspective was different. And instead of that, he said, No, 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 I'm not chained to them. They're chained to me. And I can preach the gospel all day long, and I can praise and worship God, and I can tell them all about who Jesus is, and they can't leave. And they can't. They don't have earplugs like you guys have. So they're chained to me and things started to happen. And I went, man, I learned from this. Because when maybe sometimes we think I'm chained to this marriage or I'm chained to these kids who are driving me crazy and I love them so much and they're breaking my heart or I'm chained to this job that's draining the life out of me, right? What if we flip it like Paul did and instead of us thinking we're chained to them, what if they're chained to us? What if we have these amazing opportunities to make a difference in the lives of other people through what is chained to us? So we can look for ways to demonstrate our faith, um, even in the difficult times. A lot of you have had difficult times this year. How do we look for the good stuff in there? When we speak fearlessly for Christ, this is the other thing in that verse that I loved. When we speak fearlessly for Christ and we live faithfully during those difficult times, we encourage other people to do the same thing you ever seen that where someone tells their story? Maybe you're a little spiritually lukewarm. I hope that happens a little today. And all of a sudden, because of their boldness and their belief and their faith, it's rock solid. You go, oh, yeah, and you're encouraged. Paul's saying here that not only did good things happen because... Um, He was chained they were chained to him But he's also saying because of what's happening in my chains other people around me are bold They're becoming strong and courageous. They're going out and sharing the gospel, too I love that. So look for ways that you can do that the third thing. Here's your third fill in the blank Always persevere Always persevere. In other words, don't give up Keep going keep going always pierce persevere. So during all of this reading i'm doing of paul which is a lot of the New Testament. And if you read through it, you take a few hours. It's quite fascinating because you see all these journeys that Paul went on and these letters that he's writing that are giving accounts of what's going on in his life. It's, it's really very interesting. I think I spent four or five days in there. But perseverance was the thing I got the most because during all this time he's talking, he brings up continuously the fact that he's in a race. He's in a race. So this journey that he's on, his, um, his uh, passion for sharing the gospel— he calls it his race. And there's a verse that comes out of Hebrews, which is the one that I mentioned in that staff meeting. And I'm going to read the first part too, verses one and two. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, people are watching. They're watching us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles So imagine yourself throwing off weight vests, which some people use when they run. Um, You've got these sins that entangle you that keep you from running fast. Throw them off, he says, because let us run the race. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What I love about that is, is that I have a race, you have a race, you have a race. I can't run yours, you can't run mine. But Paul is saying, throw all these other things off. Get rid of the distractions and start running with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That was what I was talking about in that staff meeting. So let me go back to what I said that made everybody go, what? And here's kind of where I went with this. As I'm talking, and I'm talking about what kind of race I'm in, I bring up this story of that I, the fact that I had a runner's high one time. How many of you guys are runners? good for you. I hit the runner's high one time in my whole life. And I had been practicing for like weeks. I had been walking slash jogging, trying to get it down. But every time, bam, you know what I'm talking about. That wall, bam, you hit that wall. (gasps) That's what happens. So this day, instead of that, I hit it. I got it. That runner's high. Man, I could hear chariots of fire playing in the background. And I'm like running down this, you know, not a hill, but kind of a place in my neighborhood. And I'm thinking, this is what this is like. This is awesome. And I come around the corner. I can tell you exactly where I was in my neighborhood. And a couple of blocks up was my cul-de-sac. So this is what I'm telling at the staff meeting. Out-of-body experience, weird, because I don't know why I even thought of it. But I'm running, and I come up to my cul-de-sac, and I have this choice. I can either keep running and see how this thing's going to go or I can go home. And guess what I did? I turned up the cul-de-sac, and I went home. And I said to Mark, hey, I got that runner's high. That was awesome. But as I'm talking to the staff about it, I'm going, oh my gosh, Melissa, why did you go home? Why did you not persevere? Why did you not run? Paul says, run the race with perseverance. I wish I had read all of this before that. And it broke me. And I realized that up until this moment, I was running in my own wind, my own power. And when I got to my, I couldn't breathe. Oxygen debt sets in. Your muscles hurt. You're lightheaded, right? Up until then, I was relying on my power, on my training, on my wind. But when that fresh wind happened... Same thing happens with little kids when they fall asleep on the way home from dinner and then they don't sleep because they get that first wind or the second wind, right? When you hit that second wind, that's God wind. So if we can get to the point, this is what I learned from Paul, if we can get to the point where we transfer from our power to his power and we get in that second wind, we're unstoppable. It doesn't hurt anymore. It's, it's fun. Um, it's peaceful. It's um, and I learned that God starts when impossible for me begins. When I thought about this job and being able to minister to adults, I boom, 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 boom. But when I said, "No, no, no, not my power, God power, and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to trust Pastor Ben with this, and I went, I acted at once, everything changed. And all of you in this room have something that's gotten you. What is your wall? What in your life do you keep running up against and stopping? Um, No matter what's happened this year in the past, I want to encourage you that in 2018, that you give it your all. That you go for it. That you break through that wall. You trust God. You believe God. You go in that dark room and you run. So if you failed, have another try. If you were hurt, bounce back. If you were used, serve again. If you were betrayed, trust again. If you were disappointed, hope again. Um, There's some more words of Paul that I think will make you bold. And this is what they say. This is in Philippians chapter 3. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. He's saying, persevere, keep going, finish that race. All right, so one of the most inspiring verses, and this is about it, that I read this year was in First, in 2 Timothy. So Timothy was Paul's protege. Um, he loved Paul, and Paul taught him everything. And Timothy was young, and Paul would write him letters in the books of First and 2 Timothy, and he would say, hey, don't let people look down on you because you're young, but be an example. I used to love that verse for students. He would say things like that. But in 2 Timothy, it's coming to the end of Paul's life. He's in jail, he's on death row, like I said. In fact, right before he writes this, he actually says, um, I've come to the end of my journey, right? At the time of my departure is close, is what he says. And then he says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And when I read that verse, I started thinking about 2018 and New Year's resolutions, and I thought... I don't want to think small this year. What if instead of 2018 New Year's resolutions, what if we think, what's my life goal? What are my life resolutions? And when I look at mine, it's that. I want one day to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So I I, I pondered that a lot. So then, you know how your head gets to you and you start playing Pong in your brain sometimes? What if, what if, what if, what if? So I had this thing nailed down like two weeks ago because I, uh, I wanted to enjoy Christmas with my family and I thought, I'm going to get it done before Eve Eve. So I did. But then guess what happened? What if, what if, what if, what if? What if this isn't the right thing to talk about? What if this is a bomb? What if no one understands what you're saying? Right? So on it goes. So, so Friday night, December 22nd, I'm awake like half the night with this thing going on in my head, convincing myself that all the the time I'd put and the belief that I had this was right, maybe wasn't. So December 23rd comes, that's Eve Eve. And um, a family here in our church had lost a loved one. Um, I didn't know him, but I knew the family, and I thought, I'm gonna go to this service. Now, it was Eve Eve, so I had a pretty good excuse if I didn't go, right? But I got up, and I went. It was raining and snowing and kinda yucky. And I go to this little church in Westchester, and, um, and I walk in, and keep in mind, I didn't know this man. His name was Walter Williams, but I know his son, and I know his grandson, I know his family. And so I thought, I'm going to go. So I walk in, I'm feeling kind of weird because I don't know anybody. And uh, I pick up the little pamphlet that's on the table when you walk in the room. So I open it up. First thing I see, you guys can't see, I wish you could, is a picture of this guy with this bright, shiny, joyful, walks in a room and lights everything up. Kind of a face, and I wish, man, I wish I knew him. I bet I would really like him. So I'm sitting there and I decide to keep reading. So you ready? This is what this says. And for those of you who have been praying for me not to cry, keep going. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. The righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And I thought, thank you, God, for giving me this. Because it confirmed everything in me that this was what I was going to talk about. See, I said I wasn't going to cry. And then the family walks in this morning, and I'm like, seriously, this is not nice. So thank you. (laughs) Um... This is what I loved about this service. I went really just to do something nice for my friends, and instead it blessed me beyond measure. Because after I sat there and the service started, um, several people got up to talk about this guy, Walter Williams. And what they said was all the same. They all said he was Jesus to me when I was a kid. Um, He used to knock on the doors um, over at uh, the neighborhood, um, over on 4th Street, 3rd Street, over by the Cone. He would go door to door, he'd knock on doors and he would ask parents if their kids could come to Sunday school the next day on Sunday. And when they would come to Sunday school, um, he would teach them about Jesus. He would tell them how much God loves them. He would um, explain that God had a plan for their life. And so one by one, these people got up and all said kind of the same thing. The cool thing is, two of them were pastors, and one of the pastors actually said, I didn't just come to know Jesus because of this man, but all the people under my ministry that have also come to know Jesus, he had a part in that too. And I'm thinking, man, that's amazing. And then this hit me. Some of you here today, hopefully, you've been a little inspired to take a step towards God and believe Him and all that. But some of you are thinking, yeah, thanks for that. But you work at a church. So you're different. So you don't understand I'm not in that life. But here's the deal Walter Williams wasn't on staff at a church, he sold insurance. Some of you are teachers, some of you are executives, some of you work on a line. Some of you are landscapers. I don't know what you do. The thing is, is that the Bible wasn't written for people who work at a church. The Bible was written for all of us. And I think it would be super cool if all of us one day could say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So here's my prayers for you for 2018. And these are honestly the prayers I have for this church. First of all, that you would truly know God. Not just believe he exists, but you would truly know him. I pray that you'll allow yourself to get drawn into that dark room. And I know it feels a little weird. It felt a little weird to me too. Literally with a pillow under my knees, bent over my couch in my office. With my door locked and my music loud. Whatever you need to do, draw yourself into the dark room and let God develop you. It takes time. Don't give up. That you would discover your race and you would start running with perseverance. Start running. Listen. Act and act at once, and then start running. And when you hit your wall, which you will, keep going. Um, That you won't turn up your cul-de-sac. That you'll choose to fight the good fight, and you'll have the perspective of Paul. Don't be defeated by the things that challenge you. Instead, use them to let them develop you and to make a difference in the lives of other people. Those are my prayers for you this year for 2018. Um, I'd love for you to take some steps. Will said it great um, earlier. Go ahead and take your Connect cards out. When he said this is the last Sunday of 2017, I would love to see a huge number of you participate today. All of you, take a step towards God. There's something here for everybody. Um, Whether you've never, um, you don't even know who God is. Maybe you're here visiting for the holidays. You got dragged here. Who knows? Who knows? But I'd love for us to take some steps. So next step A is that today you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You're going to put your faith in him, your trust in him. Um, you're going to surrender your life to him and let him lead you. Um, you want to know God. That's step A. If you check that, um, we're going to pray for you at the end. But I, I'm so happy for you because that's the biggest decision you're ever going to make. That's what starts this whole development process is that. Next up, B, is that you want to be baptized. Um, We have a baptism service coming up in February, second week of February. Um, Like Will said, we baptized 69 people in 2017, which is way more than we ever have in a year. Um, God is moving. If you want to talk about it, I can tell you, if I had to list my favorite parts of my new job, that's probably right up there. Um, The conversations I got to have with those people, the stories they got to tell, of how God has come into their life and changed them and the fact that they wanted to get up here and show all of you. So that's B. Um, I'll be in touch with you if you check B. But Pastor Ben always says, someone will get in touch with you. Guess what? That's me. I'll get in touch with you. We'll have coffee. Um, Next up, C. Um, I'm gonna pray this week. God, please help me believe you and trust you fully, not just believe you exist. If you'll say a prayer like that every day, over and over, God will move. He will work. He hears your prayers. Next step D. In 2018, I'm going to make my attendance here a priority, not to check a box, but to engage Four Corners in a way that will lead to steps in my spiritual journey. You know, we work hard around here to try to build systems. Those systems aren't just systems, though, those systems are designed to help you grow. So when you walk out of the door, when you look in your sermon notes, you see that thing on the right side, know God, find freedom. Those weren't just some, oh, that sounds cool. Let's use that. It's not. It came out of the dark room. Those are the steps that we believe we need to take to grow spiritually, to develop spiritually. We want that for all of you this year, not just to come every couple of weeks and hear a message and go home and go, yeah, that was good, but for you guys to plug yourselves in in a way that's going to help you to grow closer to God. And then next bold step E um, is that I'm going to focus on my marriage and relationships through you, me, and us, and I'll invite someone to join me. So you saw the video before. Pastor Ben and I have talked about it quite a bit. I am so excited about this focus of you, me, and us this year. Um, I hope that you'll come. I hope all of you will come. Even if you're not married, you're engaged, you're dating, or you want to be, Show up. It's going to be great. Um, And most of all, I'd like for you to invite a friend with you. All of you have people you work with, you live near, um, that you come in contact with, and you hear their stories and their marriages, and it's tough. Help them by bringing them to that. There you go. Melissa,
1: excellent job. Did you guys help me say thank you? Thank you. I have the greatest team on earth. I'm telling you, it's incredible. They're my friends. They're my partners. And uh, Melissa said it's been her favorite year of ministry. I've been in ministry 30 years. I know I don't look it, but I've been in ministry 30 years. (laughs) This has been my most enjoyable year ever. And you guys are a big reason, a big part of that. We're going to take our next steps, set them aside for just a moment. And for the folks who call this church home, we're going to make an investment for the last time this year. It's the last day to do it into the ministry here in this place. Every dollar you give makes a difference. You've heard a few numbers today. You heard 69 people baptized. There were 113 people checked next step A at last count. It's probably going to go up just a little bit. All that happens because you're faithful. You do things like pay to have these lights on and make sure there's heat in the building and fund the ministry and pay the salaries of people who work here. We're very, very grateful. I just want you to know it's not wasted. We think deeply about how to spend the money that you give, and it makes a big, big difference. Thank you for that. If you want to give to our church, but you didn't come prepared today to write a check or give cash, you know, put it in the offering envelope or whatever, you can jump on your phone. You can give online tonight. You do it before midnight, it'll count for this tax year. You do it after, it'll go on the next one, all right? That's for those people that kind of watch that sort of thing. Let's pray about our next steps and our offering. And then we're going to take communion together as a church family for the last time this year. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for the grace of Jesus demonstrated in you giving your life on the cross and in your resurrection from the dead. We're so grateful, Lord, that we can have a relationship with you. And you take us on a journey. You develop us. God, help us not to give in to the instant, as Melissa talked about, but help us to be persevering saints all the way through the process of where you want to take us. God, I lift up those men and women in the room right now that are saying, Jesus, wash away my sins. I trust the work that you have accomplished at Calvary and in the tomb. I trust in that alone to save me. And Father, would you take our gifts if you, as you have done every day this year? And would you use them to further your good purpose in this church to accomplish your good work? We know it's not about us. It's about you. We're just grateful to be a part of it. Help the money go far and wide for all the things that you want to accomplish. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.